I'm glad you're here. This is a, uh, is a big, big time during the year. This is Rosh Chodesh Elul. This is the beginning of the month of Elul, and uh, this is the home stretch to, to Rosh Hashanah, so to the new year. And, um, you know, they say, if you want some, some beautiful imagery, they say by, by Elul, the king is in the field. This is sort of like how to imagine it. Like, for instance, imagine you wanted to see a great king. Well, the great king is in his fortress castle. How can you get in to see the king? So, so to speak, the god is king. But in Elul, the king is in the field, meaning to say the king is coming out and he's interacting with everyone. So that's always the case, by the way. But even more so in Elul. So God is extra, extra available at this period of time. So it's, it's, it's very, very amazing. Also, historically speaking, today is the day, Rosh Chodesh Elul, today is the day that Moses, Moshe Rabbeinu, went up to Mount Sinai for the second time with the, and received the second tablets, which were exactly the same in terms of the, the, the writing on them as the first tablets. Um, and 40 days later from today, Moshe comes back down, and that's the first Yom Kippur. So 40 days from today is Yom Kippur. And of course, today, we start blowing the shofar in anticipation of, of, of Rosh Hashanah. So there's so much going on. It's, it's, a, it's a second chance. It's a big second chance for, for the whole world, certainly for each one of us, because God is forgiving us for the sin of the golden calf. And now, all of a sudden, we're getting the, the Torah all over again today. And the, the sages ask a very, very interesting question, which is, you know, there is a difference between the first tablets that we got and the tablets that we got on Mount Sinai the second time. The first tablets were like these miracle tablets, basically. They were, they were this, I, I don't even know what they were carved out of, some sa- sapphire, sapphire-like material. There were all sorts of miracles. They were, they were, they were like hard and yet the thing could be rolled up like a scroll. They were written, each letter was written straight through from one side to the other side, right? And yet you could, if you read it the, 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 the forward way, the normal way, it would read, you know, coherently. But if you turned it around, it should read backwards because each letter was carved through and through. But if you turned it around, it also read the exact same way, coherently. So that, that was another aspect of the miracle. And it was carved by the finger of God. And I just saw recently from the Or HaChayim HaKodesh, something amazing. What does it mean, the finger of God? Well, stretch out your finger. God doesn't have a body. So God doesn't have a finger. So what is this idea, the finger of God? Because God himself uses that language. So, so what, what is being suggested? Bless you. So he says that it was like a divine, like like laser beam. That would be the modern way to put it. Like, like your finger is like a beam. So it was like, like all of a sudden Moshe is holding this, these tablets and this beam of light, like a laser beam, so to speak, the finger of God, if you will. But this laser beam is carving out all the letters in the Torah. So now there were all sorts of divine pyrotechnics with the first revelation of the Torah. This is, remember, the sixth or the seventh According to some opinions of Sivan, this is happening in the springtime, 50 days after we've left Egypt. And of course, there was thunder and lightning and, you know, a fire burning on the mountain all the way into the heart of heaven. 
that's the, the phraseology of the Torah, into the heart of heaven. All sorts of amazing things. People's souls were flying out of their bodies, then being resurrected again en masse. I mean, amazing, amazing things. People heard colors and saw words. Amazing things. And all of this is in contrast to what happened today on Rosh Chodesh Elul. It was two simple stone tablets that Moshe himself carved out. And I don't know about the lettering. I don't know who made the lettering. Maybe it was God. Maybe it was Moshe also, since he carved out the tablets as well. And there were no pyrotechnics. The, the mountain in the middle of the desert didn't suddenly, miraculously spring covered in flowers like happened the first time. Well, it was a very quiet event. But you want to hear the interesting part? Which tablets do we have? The tablets from the first giving or the tablets from the second giving? The answer is the tablets from the second giving. And you know what the sages say based on that? If you want something to last, don't make it so public. <laughs> an interesting, that an interesting takeaway lesson? You know, in, 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 in sort of Torah, we, we use a word um, like something is, happens, besnias, uh, or we say snias kite, or is it snias? Snias means like, you know, like in terms of dress. Like you're, you're, you're dressed in a, in, in a way where you're not, not showing off, you know, things that may m- m- more modestly be, you know, be, be lived. And, and, and that idea of, of being sneeze is not just in dress, but it's also in terms of our personality, the, the information we share or that we don't share. All that falls under the category of, of being a sneeze. You know, it's, it's interesting. There, there are certain pieces of information that other people need to know. They, they legitimately need to know it, and you have to tell them. Like, for instance, today we changed the location of this talk, right? So that's, so that's, that's important information to share, right? But this person's getting a divorce. Why are you sharing that information? Right? Are you sharing it because you want that person you know that the person you're telling can be an emotional support for that person, then it's a good piece of information to share. You're telling them because, hey, you know, look at them, they're having a hard time. Ha, ha, ha. Right? Of course, you wouldn't say it like that, but what's behind the words? You know what I mean? What's behind the words? So, so, so that's, that's something that information that you don't need to share because you have to decide what the situation is is it actually advancing the cause of goodness in the world or is it just you're just sharing information just to share information you're just talking just to talk it's not necessary and to trust and here's the point to trust that that category of information if another person needs to hear that category of information, that's sort of like, it's not urgent. That God will send them that information. God will communicate that information to them through some, some, some normal channel. I'm not talking about prophecy or anything mystical right now. Just, they will hear what they need to know. 
And so, so this is another dimension of what it means to be snias, to be modest. Sometimes it's translated as modest, but it's, it's a holier, it's a holy version of modesty. That, that, that you have a level of trust in God that God will fill in the blanks, that you don't necessarily have to be the one being the town crier on, on all these types of things. So, something interesting. Um, I heard from Rabbi Green, I, I don't know if it's in the Gemara or not, but in some classic Torah source, that there was, uh, that there was a man who was married to a woman, and he was married to her for some time, and and she she died before he did. And upon her death, he found out that her one of her arms—I don't know whether it was a right arm or a left arm—was actually lame. Okay, meaning to say, she didn't it didn't really function so well, or or I don't know if it functioned at all. And they said, you know, how modest the woman was that she comported herself in such a way that he never knew that, right? And then they say, no, no, no. The greatness of the modesty was not on the part of the woman. The greatness of the modesty was on the part of the man. And Rabbi which is kind of surprising, like, well, wait a second, why was the man being modest that he never realized that the woman's, um, that his wife's arm wasn't fully functioning? And, and this gives us a whole deeper dimension of what, what this type of holy modesty is, of what, what it really means to be sneas, like we're getting deeper now, is that the man, of course, over the course of the marriage, had so many opportunities to investigate something that he must have noticed on some level, right? And yet he stopped himself from investigating beyond a point where he felt like her privacy was um, primary, was, was more important. In other words, he didn't allow his thoughts to investigate an area that he felt was not appropriate for him to investigate. And that that was really a great act of modesty on the part of the husband, on the part of the man. For instance, you walk into someone's room, right? And they quickly close a drawer. (laughs) This is perhaps a more relatable (laughs) uh, example of what I'm talking about. Or to really put it into... uh, modern uh, parlance, you walk into someone's room and they close their laptop quickly. Yeah. Right? So, you know, there, there might be situations where a conversation is actually necessary and is, would be the Torah thing to do, would be appropriate. You know, there are all sorts of uh, internet addictions which are extremely toxic. And those would have to be addressed, or should be addressed, because it's an illness. You're not doing the person a favor by ignoring them. But there are instances where if someone just closes the drawer, maybe it's something that's embarrassing to them that's not necessarily some toxic behavior. 
being manifested. Or, or again, if you hear about something in someone else's life going on, if you can help them, to, to try to help them, but if you can't, for whatever reason, because it's just some area that's, that's not appropriate, to think further about, that you actually withhold investigating it in your mind, right? And, and that's a level of actually, that, that, that's, that's holy, actually. It's holy. So, so we have all sorts of things that we can learn from the idea that the second tablets, which weren't sort of like presented with great fanfare, are the ones that actually lasted. And it's a good, um, I think, uh, since what we're talking about, you know, I, I, I often refer to these talks as couples therapy between us and God. Right? So, like, the, the ultimate bit of couples therapy was going on when we got the second tablets because we were repairing our relationship with God. And here you see a very interesting sort of guideline of how to manage a relationship between two partners, which is that, you know, there, there's certain things that you don't always have to advertise. So, it's just a good, good practical thing to know. Um... My mind is in a bit of a, a a whirlwind right now because just on a personal level, there's so much going on with me right now. One of the things is is that I'm actually going to be... Uh, well, I have a plane ticket. Who knows, um, who knows what happens in the world one moment to the next moment, right? I mean, I certainly don't pretend to. But I'm going to... I have a plane ticket anyway to go to Uman in the Ukraine. Uh, to Rebbe Nachman's kever for Rosh Hashanah for the first time. Um, and then it's uh, Shabbos, it's, it's, it's the last Shabbos of the year, and then Sunday night is Rosh Hashanah. So I have a reservation to be by the, uh, the kever, the gravesite of the Baal Shem Tov, um, that last Shabbos. And then I'll be driving, I guess, or taking a car. I, I, I won't be driving. <laughs> I, I, I use that phrase. I'll be driving, and my kids got started to panic. No, I will not be driving. I will be driven, God willing. Um, uh, it will be like four hours from the Baal Shem Tov's kever to, uh, to, to Rebbe Nachman um, in Uman, where approximately 40,000 people show up out of nowhere from around the world in this massive, massive gathering. I don't even know how to describe it. But I've been hearing about it for so many years, and um, yeah, I have a, a chance uh, this year to to, to take part. So, um, so yeah, I, I don't I, I don't even know what to say. The, the, the probably the main reason why I'm bringing it up with you is that if you um, if you want to send me your names or whatever it is, and I can daven for you, I'm happy to daven for you uh, to pray for you. So just send me your name and uh, <clears throat> your mother's name, right? Or if you want to send your father's name too, but you can send your name and your, your mother's name. Uh, and uh, I'll try to, to, to print it out and, and pray for you in these, uh, in these holy places. Have you in mind? Uh, so, so yeah, I don't know what to expect. I don't know what to expect, but I'll tell you one sort of cute thing the name of the hotel that we have a reservation at, uh, I'm traveling with uh, some friends, 
in 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 at the Baal Shem Tov's cover, it's called the Holiness Hotel. So, <laughs> so I love that. I love that they called it that. You know, what what else are you going to call it, right? So it's it's fantastic, actually. So so we'll see. I'm I'm trying to go in with with z- zero expectations. I'm expecting nothing, and we'll see what happens. Uh, I certainly will have, I'm sure, stories to tell uh, in the in, in not so long because it's it will be in three weeks. It will be I will have another two two weeks here, and that will be the third week. So. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, so everything right now is about the relationship between us and God. See, that's everything that I've been talking about. Every time I speak, any time I speak, is, is really just one thing, that you're, we're in a relationship with God. And that is, that's if you want to take an x-ray of reality, if you want to take an x-ray of your life, if you want to take an x-ray of this world, of your soul, that is the only thing that's actually going on. Literally, that's the only thing that's going on. And God is, is, so to speak, turning this kaleidoscopic wheel around you, changing the scenery, just saying, how are you going to react in this situation? And how are you going to react in this situation? And how are you going to react in this situation? And God is constantly just creating scenarios to see how we're going to act, right? And, and the partner thought to the kaleidoscope, which is going on simultaneously, is the gyroscope. What's the, what's the gyroscope element? So I don't know if you're familiar with what a gyroscope is. It's kind of like a spinning top, but it's got a ring around the middle of it, and it kind of wobbles, but wherever, whichever way it wobbles... The ring around it sort of like writes it so that it, it, it stays up straight. So I'm sure you've seen a gyroscope before, but you don't hear people talk about them too much. So, so to speak, Hashem is changing the situation on us multiple times a day, seeing how are you going to react, right? And then we're, we're the gyroscope. So what does that mean? Um, so the, the gyroscope element is, is, is very, very crucial. You see, there are multiple paradigms to describe our relationship with God. So the classic one is a, a, a father and, and child, right? That's a, a, another classic example is the, the king and his subject. Right? And, and those two are, are captured in Rabbi Kiva's epic phrase, which we're going to be saying a lot uh, very soon. Avinu Malkenu, our, our father, our king. Right? But those are two separate relationships. But there are, but there are more relationships than that. There's, there's also um, best friends. Right? And these are all, what I'm telling you, all appears in different places in the Torah over, over the course of Tanakh. You have the concept of best friends. You ready for this? You have the concept of twins. Us and God as twins. Right? That's, that's really amazing. Um, and and, and, and what, what I wanted to say about that another time, about this, this, this twins idea, is that, um, you see, we have this notion, this, this gets a little bit heavy, but, but, but there's a very positive side to it as well. 
which is that for, for whatever reason, we, we have the ability, strangely, to give God a terrible reputation, which sounds strange because God makes the entire universe. He keeps us alive. God is so great. Relative to God, we're so small. How could it be that we could give God a bad reputation? And the reason is, is for whatever reason, God made the world this way. People judge God based on us. Isn't that crazy? But it, it's true. It's really true. If, if, for instance, you, if people know that you are someone who's like, like believes in God, or you're like a, a practicing religious person, and you behave in a way that's, to them, unacceptable, they reach the conclusion that, that God is worthless. <laughs> Can you imagine? So, so, so do you see how that's like twins? Because when you meet identical twins, you can't tell them apart. <laughs> so on some level, even though this is like, it's not where your mind would go immediately, but if you think about the logic of it, it's pretty clear. People confuse us and God all the time in, in this respect. Because if we're behaving badly, they blame God. But I promised you there was a positive part to this. <laughs> What's the positive part? If we behave well, people go, God is so great. <laughs> you can give God a fantastic reputation. You can, you can go out of your way to help someone, and then the, the, the person goes, oh, I want to be close to God. You mean because I gave you, you know, you were, you were just a little bit in trouble. I, I wasn't even doing anything that day. I just spent a little extra time with you. But, but, but because of that, people look up to God and they say, I want to be closer to God. So, so that's the paradigm of twins. So what have we done so far? We've had king, we've had father, we've had best friend, we've had, we have twins, these are all different paradigms of a relationship with us and God. And you ready for this one? What, what Rabbi Akiva calls the highest of all of them, the holiest of all of them, which is in the Song of Songs, Shira Shirim, lovers. We're, we're lovers with God, right? Which, which, which is like this, it's, it's, a, it's, it's intimate. It's an intimate relationship with God. Meaning to say that you really feel God in your life in the most visceral way and you you understand that you're this is what we call you know if you want to know the language in 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 holy books they'll call this dveikus dveikus is like a very high level this is this is the level that hopefully we're all striving to be in it it would be translated as cleaving cleaving or or the rambam and I love this because the Rambam, um, Maimonides, has the reputation of being the ultimate rationalist in Torah. Okay? The Rambam, our ultimate rationalist, says that a person has to walk around lovesick over God. That's our consummate rationalist. Okay? So you see, the, 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 you're, you're harnessing your emotions in the relationship with God. And this is very, very crucial in, in every situation that you're harnessing your emotions. But this is really where you see them in full blossom, okay? 
So now, again, let's, let's, let's return back to our idea here. You have two things going on. If you, if you, if you want to live a God-driven life, okay? Here's the model. Kaleidoscopes and gyroscopes, okay? So the kaleidoscope is you understand that right now you're, you're in a talk, right? Okay, so that demands a certain relationship with God. Soon you'll be in your car. Soon you'll be in a supermarket. Soon you'll be in the office. Soon you'll be at home. Each one of these is a different scene that God is creating just for you. Just for you. And the question is, how are you going to respond to that scene that you're in right now? So now, how do you answer that question? How do I respond? I don't know how to respond. How do I respond? Well, the answer is gyroscope, right? Like, the gyroscope is constantly writing itself. It's constantly changing. It's constantly adjusting. So you have to ask yourself, what situation, what paradigm of a relationship between me and God is being called on me right now? Am I in a king-subject situation right now? Is it sort of like, do I harness like tremendous yira, tremendous awe of like the king at this moment? Or is it intimacy? Is, is, is God like feeding me like some amazing food right now, right? And it's just sort of like, wow, like, like you just got a home-cooked meal from the one who loves you the most, right? And now you're like, now you're responding to the situation in a different way. But in each situation, you have a direct relationship with God that's going on. And that's it. If you can do that to, to 120, to your last breath, you won. <laughs> it's like, how do you win this lifetime? I mean, you know, everyone wants to win. Everyone wants to be a success. There's your marching orders, right? You can't, you can't get it simpler or more direct than that, okay? And of course, the vehicle throughout that we're doing it through, right? Our, our, our mode of behavior is the Torah mitzvahs. That's, 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 that's how we, in every one of those situations, that's, that's, that's how we're acting, right? That's what we're accessing in terms of the relationship itself. Um, so now, you know, I want to transition, stay on the same topic, but, but, but go deeper now, um, and just talk about where we are historically. Okay, we talked about how this is on the calendar, this is... Rosh Chodesh El, right? This is like that. We're in the home stretch to Yom Kippur now. Forty days to Yom Kippur. Today we started blowing the shofar again. Pretty amazing, right? And um, you know, like I said, the, the 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 king is in the field, right? Normally he's so to speak in the palace. Right now God is extra accessible to us. Everybody knows famously that the first letter of Elul spells out the phrase. Ani Lododi Vidodi Li. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. So it's it's accessing this paradigm of love right now. Right? We're in the, the mode of love. A lot of people get married in Elul, right? And I, I got married in Elul. In fact I got married the, the full moon of Elul. And they say by, by Torah that each month has a personality. And the full moon is when the fullness of the personality of that month 
expresses itself. So the full moon of Elul, right? So that's, that's, that's special, you know, just on a personal level. And, um, and we're heading toward Rosh Hashanah. Now, now the, 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 just one of my favorite all-time gematrias from, from the Jikova Rebbe is that, is that Rosh Hashanah is the same gematria as Beis HaMikdash, right? So, so the king is in the field, you're out in the field, and you see this, this building ahead of you, and what's that building? It's the Beis HaMikdash, which is Rosh Hashanah. So you're walking in the field toward this amazing, the holy temple, which is Rosh Hashanah. Okay, so that's, that's where we are on the calendar, but what about historically? So I saw this Torah from the Kutzka Rebbe, and it really was uh, just, just really just, I loved it so much. <clears throat> when, when, Avraham, when Avraham went to take Yitzchak to the Akedah, the, the binding of Isaac, right? He, he, it says, um, it says, I'm going to read you a, a, just a, a verse from the Torah. This is in Breshis, Genesis 22, 19. It says, And Avraham returned to his young men, and they rose up and went together. Okay, so that's the young men that's referring to Yitzchak. Um, again, and Avraham returned to his young men. So Avraham went back to Yitzchak, and they rose up and they went together. So the Kutzka Rebbe has a phenomenal understanding of this. I'll just, I'll just read you what it says on the page here. Avraham looked upon the spiritual levels attained by Yitzchak, right, his son. He himself, Avraham, had heard the command straight from God, while Yitzchak had only heard it from him. But nevertheless, and the two of them went together. Yitzchak went to the sacrifice with the same joy with which he, Avraham, went to fulfill the command. When Avraham saw this, he decided that he had to join together with Yitzchak and Avraham returned to his young men. So let me, let me try to put that into my own words, just explain that. It's an amazing thought. Remember, this is probably the greatest test that's ever been given to an individual in the history of the world, right? Avraham is being, or he thinks he's being asked to sacrifice Yitzchak. That's how he understood the command. And, um, you know, just beyond, 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 beyond. But Avraham heard it straight from God. Now, Yitzchak only heard it from Avraham. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? That's like, that's such a razor-sharp observation. And yet Yitzchak was 10,000% on board with the word of God, which he didn't hear directly from God, which he heard from his father Avraham. And when Avraham saw that Yitzchak was so on board, like completely given over to do the will of God, 
that he only heard from Abraham when Abraham heard it straight from God, Abraham became envious of Yitzchak, <laughs> of his spiritual level, that he was so attached to God and he didn't even hear it straight from God. He heard it from Abraham who heard it straight from God. And then Abraham said, I want to rededicate myself and return to you, meaning to say, I want to get to your level of being so on board, having not even heard it directly from God, and still being 100% dedicated. And then it says, and they went together. Now, that's talking about all of us. Right? Because if... Yitzchak is on this enormous level because he didn't hear it straight from God. He heard it from Abraham. What about us in 2019 in the middle of Los Angeles? I mean, we're a thousand times Yitzchak right now. We heard it from someone who heard it from someone who heard it from someone straight back to Mount Sinai, straight back to Abraham, straight back from Abraham's conversation with God. And we're totally on board. So can you imagine if Abraham walked into the room, Abraham Avina, one of the greatest people who ever lived, walked into this room right now. He would be like, so envious. (laughs) I want to be like you guys. (laughs) We're like, I want to be like you. He's like, forget it. (laughs) I want to be like you. That's, That's incredible. That's the, that's the Katskarebi. I added the Los Angeles part. But, but I'm sure he meant that too. That's included in his words. So, that's, so where are we historically? Where are we historically? See, there's a twin dynamic going on at the same time. A dual, I should say, a dual dynamic going on right now. Two things going on at the same time. One thing is going on, which the Gomorrah states as a spiritual principle, which is the generations are getting lower and lower as we get further away from Mount Sinai. Okay? That's just what it is. However, as Rip Shlomo points out, the generations are also getting closer and closer to the time of Mashiach. So in that way, we're getting higher and higher. So both of these things are going on at the same time. And the way that we propel ourselves forward, right, is capturing all that, that amazing fuel that all the previous generations put into the world, all the light that they put into the world. Remember, the Zohar says something very amazing, which is that once a door to heaven, a window in heaven has been opened up, like, for instance, what Abraham did, what Yitzchak did, and all of our holy fathers and mothers, what they all did through, through, throughout history, through their, through their mysterious nefesh, them overcoming their all obstacles in order to attach themselves to God. By doing that, you open up a window in heaven, and an extra light, a shaft of light comes down, And once, here's what the Zohar says, once a window in heaven is open, it never closes. It never closes. So, you know, one of the chevra, one of our 
gems, uh, Bencion has a, a book, you can buy it actually on Amazon, called Solar Power, right? But he spells it, instead of solar, S-O-L-A-R, he spells it S-O-U-L-A-R, like, you know, the power of the soul, solar power, right? But this is really like, we are solar powered, <laughs> because it's kind of a combination. It's all of this light, this heavenly light, that's come down, that is fueling us to go forward, right? And that's, that's how you, you, you do it. And, and uh, uh, you, have, you have something incredible from Rabbi Wolfson. It says, Or Chadash Al Tzion Tayir, which means the, the, the strict way of translating it, Or Chadash would be a new light, is shining on Zion, Zion, right? But he translates it in a much deeper way. Or Chadash means a light of newness. That's what it is. There is a light of newness that's shining all of the time. And the idea is to tap into that light of newness because that's in the world. And then you can go forward, right? Then you can capture all the lights since Mount Sinai, since Abraham, and it can propel you forward in the most amazing way. And this, this really requires a breakthrough. Every single person throughout our lives, we have to break through. We have, we have to break through. You know, I, I heard this phrase on, on the radio a few years ago, and I never heard it put it this way, but I was sort of like, Oh, that's what I've been doing. It's like, you know, like a a defining moment. This this person was talking about themselves and they said, yes, I'm I'm into lifelong learning. And I was like, oh, that's a thing? Oh, you mean there are words to express that thing? Lifelong learning. Yeah. I was like, I'm into lifelong learning. (laughs) You know, and it's like the Jewish people are really into lifelong learning. (laughs) This is why like one of the most important mitzvahs there is, is learning Torah every single day. Learning, you just, you don't stop learning. You don't stop learning to your last breath. And if you can get into that place of where you're harnessing the light of the Torah, then what happens is you're able to solar power yourself. Right? Then that's the light of newness, which is, which is driving you forward. Because as you're learning new things, you're, you're constantly seeing the world in a new way. And if you're constantly seeing the world in a new way, then you see new openings that you can go down because before you were working with an old map where there's just a brick wall in front of you and you just kept on going into the brick wall. But now as you're learning, you're seeing the world in different ways. It's sort of like combination locks, right? All of a sudden, openings are opening up that you didn't know. But now that you're learning, you see an opening and now you can go through So the idea of constantly making breakthroughs in your life and living a life of newness is part and parcel of learning on an ongoing basis, right? Remember, God is not keeping us in the world just to constantly do the same thing. It can't be. It can't be. 
Because otherwise, with all these generations that have existed since the creation of the world, we, we have done it already. We have done it already. We, we've had, in periods of our history, a Beis HaMikdash. There have been times when we were doing, absolutely, 100%, all 613 mitzvahs. Or all the ones that can be done. It's, it's already happened. So that means that God wants something more. He wants something more. So, so, so what does that mean? It doesn't mean to push your head against the brick wall even harder. <laughs> Do you understand? doesn't mean I'm going to be even, okay, well, what have I been doing up until now? I've been stuck. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to be even more stuck. I'm going to increase in stuckness. That can't be the answer. That cannot be the answer. So how do you, how do you make that breakthrough? Well, I'm telling you, the more you learn, the more you will see different maps of the world in front of you. And the more you will understand that there are different routes that you can be taking. Right? Can you, like, imagine, like, you know, I'm sure you've all done this at some point where you're, you're doing one of these drive quest things, map quest, whatever it is, and then you hit zoom in, zoom in, zoom in, zoom in, right? So all of a sudden what happens is you see all these neighborhoods like getting more clearly defined, right? And all these extra roads that weren't in the previous picture. Extra pathways, extra ways to guide your life all of a sudden become manifest because you're zooming in, zooming in, zooming in. Every time you learn Torah, that's what happens. You're zooming in, zooming in, zooming in. But what's it that, that's the secret ingredient? Okay, what is the secret ingredient? And I'm telling you, and we'll begin to start to wind down now. The secret ingredient is love. The secret ingredient is love. That's what makes absolutely everything work. Let me tell you, it's not by coincidence that, you know, if, 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 if there were one line from the whole Torah, one verse from the whole Torah, which sums up Judaism, and that's a pretty hard task. How, how are you going to sum up all of Judaism in one line? That's pretty hard. But if there were one line that did it, it would be Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. Right? That understand, understand Jewish people and ultimately the whole world. If you look at the Rashi on this, the whole world is included in the Shema, by the way, even though it says Shema Yisrael. Understand Jewish people and eventually the entire world. All that exists is God. That's, 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 that's our one-line summary of Judaism. It's in the Shema. It's, by the way, the last words that we say before we go to sleep. And it is, if a person is zolche, if they, if they merit, it's the last words that they say before they leave this world. That phrase, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. Okay? Now, what is the line right afterwards in the Torah? Wouldn't you be curious to know? What is the line or the word, the word, the next word in the Torah after that. Yeah, I want to know. I want to know. Because that's a really important word. Like, you just, like, summed it all up. 
Now God is going to tell you, well, how do I do it? Okay, God is one. I'm on board. Yes. But how do I do it? What's the next word? Viahafta. And you should love. It's the next word. And it's not just sort of like, now God's in a good mood. Now he wants to talk about love. He is telling you how to do it. (laughs) And by the way, it is not a coincidence that the word echad, one, has the same numerical equivalent, the same gematria as ava, which means love. If you want to connect to the oneness of God, if you want to live the oneness of God, it's through ava, it's through love. But, but, but you know, it's, the Torah is divine wisdom. It's not just smart, it's divine wisdom, it's beyond. It's not ava. The word is not ava. It's viahafta. It's in the command form. You see how we talked about paradigms before, right? Do you see how multiple paradigms are being grouped onto that word? Viahafta. You're being commanded to love. Isn't that interesting? It's not just, you know what? Love is a very individual thing. It's a very personal thing. I'll tell you when I'm in the mood to love you. <laughs> Don't, don't, don't put sort of like all these like expectations on me. It's like not cool. Like now you're distancing me. Now I'm not so into you, right? That's not what it is. It is all these things together. It is love. It is share sharium. You're lovers with God. It is via hafta. You're being commanded. God is the king simultaneously. Wow. I'm lovers with a king who can also command me? This is a lot of stuff all at once. But this is what it is. This is what it is. And so what does that mean in, in our lives in a real way? And especially as we're approaching Rosh Hashanah, right? Where the whole year comes down. That's where, that's where our destiny for the year comes down. The destiny for the, the world Right? Jews, non-Jews, by the way. This is a this is a claristic, this is a this is a whole vision for the world that's being formulated right now. Right now. Right? It's not just on Rosh Hashanah. Like this is why we have Elul, why we have these weeks leading up to Rosh Hashanah. In order to get ourselves in the way where we're basically setting the stage for a, like a fantastic for a fantastic judgment. So the answer is, first and foremost, to understand that we're in a relationship. That that is the essence of all of life. And, and by the way, you know, this, this might sound very existential, but I really believe it. When all is said and done, when all is said and done, and I'm not talking about not being a loving person to other people, I'm not talking about... Uh, I'm, not, I'm not disagreeing with the, how fundamental it is to be a part of a community and to be part of a people and to be part of the world. I'm not, I'm not dissing any of that. I'm not disagreeing with any of that. However, if you want to strip it down, just strip it, strip it, strip it, strip it, strip it down, it's basically you and God. That's what it is. That's what, that is what it is. That's what it all boils down to. It's you and God. And, and if you, the first thing you have to understand is that. 
And then the next thing you understand, have to understand is what kind of relationship, because I'm already in a relationship, what kind of relationship do I want to be in? In other words, it's not, mm, do I want to swipe left or right, right? Like, mm, not sure, right? Do I want to go on a second date? Mm, not sure. You're already married. <laughs> it happened. It happened. Okay, right? Right? Like you woke up like the hangover, right? You woke up. It happened. Now the question is only one thing. What kind of marriage do you want to have? That's the only question on the table. Because you're already married. So I heard uh, Rabbi Mati Berger many years ago say this, which I thought was such a brilliant insight into, into this topic. He said, if someone calls you every single day and you return their call, right, say once a month, what kind of relationship do you have? Do you have an everyday relationship or do you have a once a month relationship? And the answer is you have a once a month relationship. And from that, he makes a very trenchant observation, which is that the relationship is defined by the one who is least invested. Right? Because someone can be calling you every single day, but if you only are picking up the phone once a month, you are actually determining what the relationship is. The less invested person is determining what the relationship is. Okay? So, so to put it all together, so to speak, every moment that we're alive, every breath that we take, every time our you know, brain fires, you know, whatever, thoughts, whatever it is, that's God calling us. That's the phone ringing. That's the phone ringing. And the only question is, to what extent do we want to engage him? And that's actually up to us. That the bull is in our court. See, we do something very understandable, it's very, very understandable, and I'm sympathetic about it. But at the same time, if you think about it, it's a little bit misguided and it's a little bit foolish. Okay? What is that? We say, no, no, no. It's not that every moment that I'm alive, God, the phone is ringing, God is calling me, God is giving me this opportunity to engage with him. That, that's not really what it is. By the way, that is what it is. Okay? But here's what we think. We think, God, I want a certain thing. When you give me what I want, then we're in a relationship. <laughs> do you see how that's a little bit foolish? Because how do you account for the fact that you're so alive? <laughs> you enjoyed your breakfast? You enjoyed the fact that you got into your car and the car started? You enjoyed the fact that you got a parking spot and that you finished uh, your, your, your week's work and you got a paycheck? None of that means anything to you? You woke up this morning, your brain worked, your legs worked. <laughs> None of that means anything to you. It's just when I get X, then, then we'll talk God. 
Call me when you're ready to give me X. Then we're in a relationship. Is it true? You know it's not true. But then you go, okay, well then I'm in a relationship with someone who I'm really mad at. Okay, well now that's, that's not bad. <laughs> that's the beginning of something. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. You're mad? Okay. I get why you're mad. Let's talk about it. Right? Can you imagine you get married to someone, you get mad once, and then you continue, mar- you continue being married to them for the next 120 years, and you never talk to them again? <laughs> what kind of relationship is that? You, people get mad. Okay, so you're mad. So let's talk about it. So, so you want to make that breakthrough. We all want to make that breakthrough. I want to make that breakthrough. Believe me. And I'm telling you, if we're going down that road, if you want to press down on the gas, right? Like, press down on the gas. Like, it's okay. You know what? I want to get there faster. I don't even know where I'm going, by the way. But all I know is I want to get there faster. I want to press down, put the pedal to the metal, as they say, right? Just floor it. You know what flooring it is? You know what that means practically? Love. That means investing my relationship with God with love. And I'll just finish with these words, which are like, to me, it's like, if you only hear this, then you heard something. I heard this from Rip Shlomo in the name of the Ishbitzer Rebbe. And this is for me, for years and years and years, this has been the teaching for all of El. He says the following, that um, when El comes, that this is the time to fix what you're doing right. So you say, well, wait a second, I, I, I lost you. <laughs> I lost you. I'm supposed to fix what I'm doing wrong. <laughs> What do you mean, fix what I'm doing right? I'm already doing it right. Aha, wait a second. So Reb Shlomo explains, this thing that you're already doing, are you doing it with all of your heart? Right? You're already doing it. Are you doing it with all of your heart? So that's where Elul begins. Take this stuff that you're already doing, the stuff that you're already doing, and then just do it with all of your heart. And then that's going to give you the strength and the solar power, right? To just break through and to make new strides. And God willing, we should see great news for all of us individually and for all of our communities and for all of Israel and for all of the world.